Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Rugby Lineout podcast. Um, this could be the last one I do um, before heading off to France next week. Uh, myself and the family are heading over to France on Thursday, starting with uh, Paris in the quarterfinals and then soaking up the atmosphere in the south of France in sort of rugby's French rugby's uh, heartland as we uh, end up in Montpellier to uh, watch uh, the uh, semifinals in the Place de la Comédie with uh, probably several hundred other people in, in the square at Montpellier, Montpellier being a rig, rugby town in France. So, yeah, I'm going to be on the road a lot uh, starting next week, uh, obviously back to work as well at the weekend, and then uh, finish work and then straight on the plane to France. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a busy time. And um, certainly the blog may take a hit, um, and I'll do the best I can to at least try and give uh, give some on-the-road uh, Rugby World Cup podcast while I'm actually over in France, which would be kind of fun. So, yeah, doing the podcast will be a bit easier, and hopefully uh, that's what I can do so that I will make every effort to do so. But, yeah, this week, um, final round of the pool, pool stages. Um, Picking up on what a lot of other people have said, it, it does kind of, in a way, seem like the World Cup's been going on for quite a while now. Um, it is a month, um, and by the time it wraps up, it will have almost been two months. And it was kind of weird. I think last weekend, you looked at some of the fixture lists, and they all looked to be um, kind of dead ringers. You all kind of knew what was going to happen. So perhaps... For last weekend's games, the interest dipped a little bit. Having said that, though, a lot of what I watched, I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and I must admit that uh, although it may not have been the most riveting weekend in terms of what was at stake, I definitely still enjoyed a lot of the games that were on. But now this week, um, yeah, here we go. We're into the final round of the pool stages and lots of excitement. Um, it's, it's, and it is kind of funny. There's so much at stake, particularly, I think, you know, even in pool A, um, but also pool B, pool C, Paul, uh, pool D it's, it's all kind of almost like before we head into the quarterfinals next weekend, this is kind of like a, as a lot of people have, have pointed out, um, you know, it's kind of like a, a round of 16, uh, series of games this, this weekend. So, so really interesting. Um, but what's really kind of caught my eye based on last weekend and heading into, um, this weekend. So obviously pool A, you know, you have, um, you've got a bunch of issues there. You've got Italy's utter implosion against New Zealand last weekend, which was really kind of depressing to watch, but that pool is still wide open. You know, should, for example, the miracle happen and Italy actually beat France this weekend, then, you know, they could, by some hook or crook, actually find themselves in a quarterfinal. I think it's unlikely, but, you know, nevertheless, there is that. There's the whole issue surrounding the Antoine Dupont injury for France and how much that may have detracted from, uh, you know, preparations for France for, for this critical uh, final pool game. You know, New Zealand looks set to go through. Um, but, you know, again, 
that could all change depending on what happens on on Friday night. So so we'll see. So you know it's not it's pretty well determined how Poulet is going to look. France finishing on top, New Zealand finishing second. But who knows, right? Um, and then you've got uh, Saturday, you've got the whole do or die thing between Scotland and Ireland in Pool B, which based on, I mean, the amount of mathematical permutations around that match are phenomenal. But we could we could potentially see any one of these three teams, Scotland, Ireland, or South Africa in Pool B get knocked out depending on what happens in Paris between Ireland and Scotland on Saturday. So again, some of the scenarios are more unlikely, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's a do or die match. It's, it's a, it's a knockout match. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that to look forward to. Um, but also, you know, Samoa will be playing England and should they pull off the unthinkable and beat England, they'll be watching the Argentina Japan game on Sunday with huge interest. Um, you know, there's, um, the game between, uh, Fiji and Portugal on Sunday, which you think is a dead ringer, but you know, Australia will be watching that one. There's the slimmest, and I emphasize slimmest, as everybody has said, but there is the slimmest chance that um, Portugal could p- pull off the unthinkable, um, and all of a sudden they beat Fiji by eight points and deny them any kind of a bonus point, and suddenly Australia can find themselves back in, in the in in the quarterfinals. Who knows? You know, there's just so much at stake this weekend. Um so a lot to, to look at at that. So I'll be talking about that uh, predominantly during this podcast. But also I'm going to start off with, um, you know, there's been lots of talk about the tier two countries. Um, and, you know, this next World Cup cycle leading up to Australia in 2027. And, you know, this new world rugby competition between the Six Nations and the rugby championship sides in the July and November <clears throat> test windows um, starting in 2026 um, and how that's going to kind of, you know, lock out tier two countries to the point where, you know, you got this bizarre situation like Samoa, for example, in this World Cup cycle leading up to this World Cup has only played a tier one nation once in four years. That's ridiculous. And I think, you know, what I've seen and a lot of other people have seen there have been a couple of really standout teams that have really caught our imagination um, from the tier two sides. I mean, all of them have, I think, you know, even though Chile, for example, didn't win a game, played with plenty of heart and some good players in that team. Um, You know, Tonga last weekend against South Africa, really impressive performance. Um, But certainly for me personally, the three tier two teams that have caught my imagination, um, and I want to see a lot more of them, uh, in the next four years leading up to Australia 2027 are Portugal, Georgia, and Uruguay. Um, you know, I just I just think these three in particular have been excellent value for money and something has to be done to kind of fast track the momentum they've gained at this tournament. Um, you know, Uruguay, for example, right from the outset uh, in that opening game against France had me spellbound. They almost caused an upset of of note. Um, 
they've got a really committed, powerful forward back, um, forward pack, talented halfback partnership, and some really silky backs. Um, Georgia, never say die. Uh, I thought that game last weekend between them and Fiji was just outstanding. It was there was some great rugby on display there. Um, you know, and that traditional forward power they they've got is now allied to some really exciting and dynamic back play. And then I say there's there's like Portugal, and you know, I I will admit with shame that I didn't know a great deal about Portugal before this tournament. Um, but wow, have they ever impressed? I, you know, um, and they've become a lot of people's fan favorites of the tier two nations. Um, you know, with each game, they've got better and better. And, you know, what's I think been really impressive about Portugal is even against big teams like Wales and Australia, you know, irrespective of how, particularly in the case of Australia, they may be playing at the moment, there've been no outright thrashings of Portugal. And I think that's, you know, they've been competitive. They've been a joy to watch. Their fans have been fabulous. I, I just, yeah, I really want to see them build on, on what they've gained in this World Cup. Um, I think the really worrying thing, though, is is all of this seems to be falling on deaf ears when it comes to to, to world rugby, um, and all they seem to be doing, certainly within the next four year World Cup cycle, is just consolidate the 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 power and position of the the Six Nations countries and the rugby championship countries. Um, and if you look at it, um, tier two nations will be almost excluded from tier one tests, particularly in. 2025 and 2026 um so yeah i think i think it's uh it's really tough um i don't know what's going to happen in 2027 because i'm not sure that this new world rugby competition between six nations and rugby championship sides in the test windows july november how that's going to work in 2027 because it's all warm-ups but certainly 2026 is going to be a big concern plus you got the lions tour in 2025 so you know how much exposure are these tier two countries going to get so i would argue that certainly for the lions tour um you know all those players that don't make the Lions squad there should be representative touring sides from those countries going to places like these tier two nations um as well as those tier two nations during that lions window in in 2025 the summer of 2025 um Tier two nations should be playing countries like, you know, Argentina, New Zealand and South Africa, um, who are not involved um, in the uh, in the Lions tour and obviously France and Italy in the northern hemisphere. Um, But, yeah, I I think after that, it's it's pretty slim pickings for them. A plate competition was proposed uh, and World Rugby came out today and said they are totally not in favor of that at world cups um and at the same time they want to expand the world cup competition in 2027 in australia to 24 teams and and i really have a problem with that all i see is that expansion is providing the big teams uh with even more kind of cannon fodder training games prior to the games that really matter in the tournament so i i'm really not in favor of that so you know, I understand the cost implications of it, but I think it's also very short-sighted. Um, you know, a plate competition would give teams like, you know, Portugal and Georgia and Uruguay something to really play for after the pool stages, um, as well as giving them more exposure to, to knock out rugby. Um, 
and you know, surely the the long term benefits in terms of ticket sales at the World Cup and TV rights, etc., would would in the long term be make it offset that initial cost implication. So yeah, that's that's my view on it. Excuse me, just down in the coffee here. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's I don't know. Like I say, if if that's not on the table. Um, you know, get them as much exposure as, as you can um, somehow during the next four-year cycle. Um, I've talked about the Lions Tour thing and, and an opportunity there. Um, 2025 as well. The, the new competition is not going to take effect until 2026. So make sure that November test window in 2025, they get as much exposure as possible because the following year, it looks like they're going to get nothing. So... Yeah, so we'll see how it all pans out. But I just, you know, I, I really think a commitment needs to be made. You know, and I haven't even talked about countries like the U.S. And, and us here in Canada who didn't even qualify for this World Cup. You know, we're kind of out in the wilderness right now. And if you're going to have a successful World Cup in the U.S. in 2031, you need to kind of get on that now. So we'll see, but I'm not feeling over optimistic. You know, sadly, world rugby seems very entrenched and it seems to favor the the established order. Um, yeah, old school stuff, shirts, stuff dies, that sort of stuff. Anyway, let's hope let's hope up, be optimistic and hope for for a better future for tier two nations coming out of this World Cup. So on to the pools themselves. Uh, pool A, you know, like I say. School of Hard Knocks, I think, and Remarkable Comebacks. Um, I, I think, you know, the three things I've got out of Pool A's encounters is France has some pretty impressive medical staff, that's for sure. Um, and Italy, you know, despite their their much-touted improvement over this World Cup cycle, that thrashing and the way they imploded against New Zealand and the heads went down and the shoulders dropped and they it's almost like they gave up. Um, you know, does that mean that all that improvement's just smoke and mirrors? I don't know. And I also think the other thing I've learned from Pool A is the fact that um, everyone just seems to be starting to wake up to the threat that New Zealand pose in this tournament. And I, for one, like a lot of people, have never felt that way. Uh, New Zealand to me is, you, you write these guys off at your complete and utter peril. Uh, they are still an immensely dangerous team. So, yeah. Uh, and I think they were really just loving the fact that they've, they've just been off the radar all tournament for everyone. Um, I think in France, you know, in France's case, all the the, the, the talk is surrounding you know, we've literally had a blow-by-blow blow account of Dupont's progress through the hospital since his surgery, um, and it looks like he's set to return for the quarterfinals. Um, and as delighted as I am to see one of the world's best players in action, there's some things that bug me about it. Isn't it all a bit rushed? Um, especially as his first game is going to see him facing up to like a bruising physicality that South Africa brings. How confident does he feel in facing, you know, his his body's ability to withstand that kind of punishment? Um, is it even fair, especially now we're placing so much emphasis on player welfare to to expect him to do so, even even though he may want to? 
And I think secondly, and more importantly, for the French team as a whole, all this emphasis put, oh, you know, we've got to have Dupont back. Otherwise, you know, we're just not in this. And it's so important. Has that detracted from the team's confidence as a whole? Um, you know, he's an important player, but so important that, you know, a very talented French team that's got considerable depth can't cope um, without him. I, I think, you know, there's a danger for me that that all this hype and focus on Dupont may have been a negative and confidence-sapping sideshow for the rest of the team. We're going to find out tomorrow night against Italy. We shall see. But like I say, as for New Zealand, um, feeling, you know, very comfortable. You know, they'll head into their final pool game against Uruguay this afternoon. Pretty sure their quarterfinal berth is secure, depending some pending some miracle that happens Um between Italy and France tomorrow night. Um, but I, I think, you know, like I say, they're, they're comfortable that everybody's only just starting to talk about what a threat they are. You know, put aside the Twickenham Horror Show back in August and that opening loss to France. Um, like I say, I, for one, have never written them off. Uh, they're not the 2011-2019 all-black vintage, but this is a very dangerous all-black side that on their day, when they click, they can still blow out anybody off a rugby pitch with ease. So, you know, consistency is still an issue, some questions about defense um, and their comfort in sort of long drawn out physical exchanges, but give this team room to play and allow them to take, take charge early on. And all of a sudden, you know, um, your, your opponents are having to play catch up rugby and all the pressure is, is on, on the opposition, not, not New Zealand. So we'll see. As for Italy, it's really hard to judge where they're at mentally after that complete and utter capitulation of the All Blacks last weekend. This is a good Italian team um, who somehow went completely and utterly AWOL for 70 minutes last weekend in Lyon. Uh, But I think I was really shocked at how dramatically they imploded psychologically in that match. The, The body language was just it just oozed this sense of hopelessness and defeat. I mean, they, they found the odd spark, but in reality, they only really played for about 10 minutes in that game where they looked even a shadow of, of what they could look like. So, yeah, I, I, can they bounce back Friday night? Um, you know, they, they have a habit of making France feel uncomfortable, uh, especially in the Six Nations. Um, but, you know, how much of a dent to their confidence is that All Blacks game? You know, what's it done? Um, so I don't know. Um, and I think, you know, they'll also be painfully aware another thrashing by France and, a and, a a poor exit from this tournament, which has raised the whole legitimacy question about them in tournaments like the six nations. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think that'll spur them on a bit. I hope anyway, I mean, surely they can't be any worse than, than last weekend. Can they hope not? Anyway, so that's Pool A. Pool B, uh, you know, it's the pool of death, and it remains the pool of death right until the final minute. You know, on paper, it looks like Ireland and South Africa have done enough to get through to the quarterfinals. Um, But this, courtesy of Scotland, this pool is going to go down to the wire. You know, like I say, the French, you know, they have this saying that there's en principe, and, you know, whenever they say that, it's like, yeah, in, in theory, but nothing's guaranteed. And that's the case with, with what's happening this weekend with this game between Scotland and Ireland. Um, you know, Scotland are still very much in it. Now, admittedly, they've got to beat um, Ireland by a clear 21 points. Um, 
and deny Ireland any kind of bonus point, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility. And, you know, Scotland are kind of like this Fiji of the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and if, if Finn Russell fires, then who knows? I think my problem with them is their ability to out-muscle Ireland in the set-piece battles is questionable. And that puts even more pressure on Russell to create magic, which under pressure we've seen at times just appears downright reckless. So, you know... Uh, they're remark they're capable of some remarkable performances, Scotland, and I have a hunch that this is going to be one of them, but probably not enough to to get them to rewrite Pool B's current form book. Um, but yeah, definitely an, a very eagerly anticipated and potentially nail biting game on Saturday. Ireland, you know, rested after that physically punishing game against South Africa. They'll want to continue that amazing winning streak of 16 games and i think the really interesting thing about scotland a lot of people scotland uh, ireland a lot of people have commented on it they look they look you know there's this whole psychological thing going on oh well you know they never made it out of a quarterfinal and blah 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 but there's a calmness about this irish side which i really like and it's it's not it's not bravado or, or confidence it's we've we're together and we, we know how we work together and we know what we need to do and how to do it um, under pressure. And I think that's a big difference this time around. I'm hoping it is, you know, I, I, I bought into the whole Guinness ads, you know, think it, don't jinx it and all nine yards. But yeah, I, I think the signs are good. I will go as far as that. Um, and, you know, I think they know they've got a hugely difficult game ahead of them. Um, you know, and I think all of this, this rumor about Scotland and, and Ireland potentially playing this match to get those kind of score lines and points results that would see South Africa nixed out. I think that's, that's ridiculous and preposterous and, and offensive to both sides. I, you know, there's a proud rivalry between these two and they will want to know that they've got to the quarterfinals on merit and not some bizarre sort of match fixing or whatever anyway enough of that um but yeah i i think the only real negative for me out of all of this is i will like many people be genuinely sad to not see scotland go forward because they're such an entertaining team to watch and so you know so highly skilled but anyway south africa uh no doubt watching this one with a, a pretty stiff drink in their hands but you know i think they they'll take comfort in the fact they dispatched Scotland rel with, you know, relative ease in that opening game of the tournament. Um, and I think, yeah, they know there's no givens, but I think form and, and fate favors them to be the ones, you know, on the train with uh, Ireland to the quarterfinals in Paris next weekend. Australia and Pool C, is there still a sliver of hope for them? You want an honest answer? No. <laughs> um, I, and I don't, I really, I say that with no malice I, and I do genuinely feel bad for the Australian players. I don't feel bad for Eddie Jones. I mean, everybody I think knows I, I have no very little respect for him as a coach or like him, but um, I do feel sorry for the Wallabies, but I, I think it's, it's pretty slim. I would love nothing better than my underdog favorite of this term uh, tournament, Portugal to, to chuck the form book out the window and pull one over on Fiji and to do that they'd have to beat Fiji by more than eight points and deny them a bonus 
any kind of bonus point. And that would get Australia through against all the odds into the quarterfinals. But, you know, I, I just think it's fantasy stuff. Um, you know, sadly, Australia only have themselves to blame. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. And I think, you know, the other thing I also would would feel bad about is if that happened and Fiji did get, you know, knocked out, um, we'd be not denied seeing Fiji. Um, I've, I've been strapped into the roller coaster ride that's Fiji's World Cup, and I'm loving every minute of that, and I would hate to see it end just yet. Um, you know, the thought of a, a Fiji-England rematch in Marseille next weekend in the quarters is is really mouth-watering. So, yeah, um, I think, you know, Fiji were rattled by Georgia at times last weekend and looked as they looked a little bit like if all the hype surrounding them had kind of gone to their heads. Um, and a revved up Portuguese side is going to bring all the threats Georgia posed, uh, especially those Portuguese backs who I think will just expose a lot of those kind of defensive frailties, which saw Fiji miss 28 tackles um, and emerge with only a 74% tackle success rate in that game against Georgia. So, you know, shades of that Uruguayan, Uruguayan banana skin at the last World Cup for Fiji could could be there, um, could come back to haunt them. But I think Georgia was enough of a wake up call that they'll they'll address that. So, yeah, but uh, definitely some fascinating encounters in that pool to to see it close out. And then finally, Pool D, you know, Argentina, I think. I think Argentina are kind of looking at themselves and going like, how did we get here? You know, we we went into this tournament as being kind of favorites for the pool, and now we're we're in a survival match uh, where we may not potentially even go through. While Japan, on the other hand, haven't looked great either. Like both sides have looked poor. Japan, though, I feel there's a little bit of a sense of belief, and against Samoa, who beat them earlier this year, the fact that they beat Samoa, I think they're starting to feel that yeah, maybe this is on now. Um, you know, I think, you know, Argentina looked fabulous against Chile last weekend and no disrespect to the Chileans, but it's the Chileans first world cup. So Argentina should look fabulous. Um, good to see Sanchez back in the team and on form. But like I say, given, um, Argentina's pretty lackluster performances so far, how, how can we judge that victory against Chile? Um, so, yeah, you know, have they fixed all the issues that cost them against England and which made living with Samoa distinctly uncomfortable for them at times? I think, you know, Argentina need one big performance against a quality side to spark them into life and allow them to show the kind of form that's that they've graced World Cups with since 2007. I think the problem is they've left a little bit late this time around and Japan, as a result, will be feeling just a little bit more than a little optimistic. I do think Argentina is going to turn a corner this Sunday and not, but there's also the possibility they could go out with a whimper. Um, but I think, you know, as, as well, I think of, of all the contests this weekend, this one is the most evenly balanced. Like, I don't think there's anything in it between these teams. Um, and I think they also know that if they do get through, whichever one of them does get through to the knockout stages, they're going to have to ramp up their performance by at least 50% from what they've shown us so far. Because they're going to have to face a Welsh unit that has really surprised everyone and is just brimming with confidence and, to, to a certain degree, look genuine contenders. Um, you know, there's been glimmers of, of what we saw from Japan in the last World Cup, but it's not consistent and it doesn't really 
there doesn't seem to be any real great cohesion within the team this time around. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I I think ultimately Argentina's sort of powerhouse brand of rugby, particularly if it clicks, is going to be too much for a sort of out of sorts Japanese side. But you know, write them off at your peril. You know, just like the Pumas, there's one big performance somewhere out there uh, from both these sides. I just wonder if it hasn't come too late for both of them. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of it. And, you know, obviously Samoa will be watching that game in Pool D between Argentina and Japan with with keen interest. Like, like if, say, if Samoa tipped the form book on its head and managed a win against England, um they could end up end up going through to the quarters as well, depending on the result between Argentina and Japan. Unlikely, I think, but who knows? But as a result, yeah, I'd say it makes this final round of games in the pools this weekend absolutely fascinating. So, yeah, that's it uh, for the pool stages, folks, as we get ready to get down to the business end of the tournament. Um, I'll try and get something out next week ahead of the quarters, but like I say, I'm back at work on Saturday and then off to France on Thursday night. So, um, in Paris for the two quarters, so I can't really promise anything. Um, I will definitely try and keep this podcast up on the road, uh, in France, but, uh, certainly over on the blog, the, the written word may have to take a break, but like I say, in the meantime, enjoy what should be a thrilling final weekend of the pool stages. And then on to the serious business of the World Cup. Take care. uh, Stay safe, uh, everyone. And best of all, enjoy the rugby. And I will talk to you soon.